Chapter Sixteen of the Boy Scouts on Lost Trail by Thornton W. Burgess. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Sixteen: The Amateur Surgeons. It was during the night watch that Spud told in detail of the way in which he had discovered the camp. It was his first mention of the links. In fact, he had hardly thought of it himself. So much had been crowded into the last few hours that his early adventure seemed almost unreal. It would have seemed quite so, but for the bump on the back of his head. His description of his feelings when the animal had sprung at him, and later when he was trying to get his rifle, went far to relieve the tension of overwrought nerves produced by the anxiety over the task before them. It was Walter's suggestion that Spud bring in his prize as soon as it was light enough to see. So in the gray of dawn he once more threaded the birch thicket, destroying the snares which he had left unsprung the day before in one of these he found another furry little victim and this time he had no compunctions about appropriating it together with the one he had left hanging on his previous visit it was not unlikely indeed it was probable that the meat would be needed meanwhile pat and hal were laying out an easier trail back to camp avoiding the thick brush where possible and where necessary cutting a broad path through it at best it was going to be no easy task to carry the injured man, and for his sake as well as for their own it was deemed best to take the time to prepare the way. By the time they returned Walter and Spud had made a litter by lashing a blanket between two stout poles cut from saplings, and had ready a pail of hot pea soup made from the herbwurst, knowing full well that empty stomachs would be poor preparation for the work before them. The trapper had awakened and was rational. There was a pitifully wild look in his eyes, such as one sometimes sees in the eyes of a hunted animal. Beyond inquiring what they intended to do with him, he asked no questions, and seemed somewhat relieved when they told him that he was to be taken to the cabin. On their part the boys were considerate enough to avoid anything which might appear to be an effort to inquire into his personal affairs. He said his name was John Gordon, but hesitated so in replying to the question that the boys made up their minds that this was a fictitious name and forbore further questioning he was given as much of the pea soup as walter dared allow him and ate it as if famished as indeed he was then as tenderly and carefully as possible he was lifted to the litter his face evidencing the pain that the least movement caused him and the slow hard march to the cabin was begun when his companions had melted into the blackness of the forest the night before, Plimpton had at once busied himself with preparations for their return. He did not expect them before daylight, for he knew that even the task of getting their burden through the thick growth would be no small one, for there was the bare possibility that they might try to make it in the night. Anyway, it might be that one of them would have to return for something needed. So he built a rousing fire as a beacon, and from time to time replenished this all through the night. He also kept a fire going in the cabin fireplace, that the cabin might be thoroughly warm and dry. From the five beds he selected the best of the balsam, and with this made a thick springy bed in the better of the two lower bunks, and over this spread a blanket. It was little enough that he could do for the expected guest, but that little he did to the best of his ability. At the first hint of daylight he got things ready for a quick and hearty meal, and then once more sat down to wait. The sun had been up some hours when the little procession emerged from the woods. The faces of the four carriers looked drawn and weary. The long carry had taxed them to the utmost. It had been slow and difficult, 
despite the cutting out of the worst places by pat and hal the going had been rough and hard and with all their care the sufferer had received jolts that more than once brought forth a smothered groan they had warned plimpton of their approach with a woodcraft yell and he had at once started breakfast so that by the time they arrived a kettle of steaming cocoa was ready the bacon was fried and he was just turning the first panful of flapjacks gordon was at once made as comfortable as possible in the bunk prepared for him breakfast was rather a silent meal Flimpton saw that his companions had had a hard night of it and forbore to question them. They on their part were too tired to talk, and besides the hardest task of all, the setting of the broken leg was before them. But a good meal is a wonderful restorer of spirits. When the last flapjack and the last crumb of bacon had disappeared, Upton sprang to his feet. "'Hellos,' said he. "'I feel better, and I guess you do too.' we've got an ugly job before us and the sooner it's over the better we've got to set that leg it won't do to let it go any longer when that is done we'll have a conference and decide what is to be done next it looks to me as if the search for lost trail is all off this fellow has got to be taken care of and we've got to get help but we won't worry about that now i've found that in following a new trail the thing to do is to keep your eyes on the blaze in sight and not worry about the one you haven't reached the first thing now is to get splints. Pat, do you suppose that the bark on a spruce will slip enough for you to get it off? It's a little late for barking, I guess, but perhaps you can find one that will slip? Basswood will, anyway, but we may have to hunt some time to find a tree of the right size, while there are plenty of young spruces that will do. Leave it to me, replied Pat promptly. Just tell me how big of a piece you'd be after wanting, and I'll get it. I want two pieces, said Walter. Pick out a young tree a little smaller than his leg and take off the bark in two pieces by vertical cuts on opposite sides. One piece must be long enough to reach from his armpit to his ankle and the other from the crotch to the same point. Better take Hal along with you. The rest of us will be ready to use them by the time you return. By the way, Hal, gather a good supply of moss from the trees while you're about it. While Pat and Hal were in quest of the bark and moss, the others spread the spare blankets on the cabin floor, and on them gently placed the injured man, thus giving them needed room for the work to be done. His legs were unbound, his trousers and underwear removed, and the injured leg gently bathed with soap and hot water. The cold compress had reduced the swelling somewhat during the night, though the leg was still an ugly-looking thing. With his knife, Walter ripped up his extra suit of underwear into strips wherewith to pad the splints. The largest antiseptic bandage was made ready for use, and the amateur surgeon was ready for the splints. Pat and Hal returned with the bark and moss sooner than Upton had hoped for. Under his direction, the two pieces of bark were padded with moss on the concave side, and this was kept in place by the strips of cloth from his underwear. This would also prevent any chafing from the edges of the bark. They were now ready for the crucial test. Spud, at his own request, was assigned to hold the injured man under the shoulders. Pat, because of his strong hands and nerve, was to pull the bone into place, while Walter would manipulate the two ends until they fitted. Remember, Pat, warned Walter as the big fellow gently grasped the leg just above the knee. It must be a perfectly straight pull without the slightest bit of twisting. Begin easily, increasing the pull slowly until I say stop. Pat nodded, and Walter gave the signal. Gordon's face went white under its heavy coat of tan as the pull increased, 
but he grimly ground his teeth and made no sound. To the two looking on and doing nothing, it seemed an interminable length of time before Upton warned Pat to hold right where he was. Then, as gently as possible, Upton began to work the two ends of the broken bone in an effort to fit them together. Presently there was a faint, audible thud. The bone was set. A universal sigh followed that faint sound. The tension on all had been intense. Great beads of perspiration stood out on Spud's face, and Walter afterward confessed that he was wringing wet. The splints were now applied, the longer one on the outside and the other on the inside, and these were bound firmly in place by means of the two-inch wide bandage. At the same time great care was taken not to bind so tight as to impede circulation. The two legs once more tied together, Gordon was given some hot soup and made as comfortable as possible in the bunk. Then the lone wolves adjourned to a point out of earshot of the cabin. Upton flung himself down wearily. I'm all in, he confessed. Seems foolish, especially as Pat did the real work, but I can't help it. Nothing foolish about it, insisted Hal. I should think you would be all in, for you're the one who has shouldered all the responsibility. Walt, we're mighty proud of you, aren't we, fellows? You bet we are. "'Spud took it upon himself to reply for all. "'When I found that poor chap, "'I felt pretty nearly as helpless as he was himself. "'Didn't seem to me we ever could set that leg. "'I know I'd have flunked it had it been up to me. "'I propose three cheers for Dr. Upton.' "'He sprang to his feet in his usual impetuous way "'and led the cheers, "'but a warning hand raised by Pat stayed him. "'It might disturb him,' said he, nodding toward the cabin. "'That's so,' exclaimed Spud. I didn't think, but I've got to express my feelings somehow. I've kept them bottled up just as long as I can. I'm mighty proud to be even the cook of the lone wolves under such a leader. If I can't holler, I've got to shake hands. He thrust out his left hand, and as Walters met it, he gave it a grasp that made Upton wince. The others followed suit, and in the warmth of those hand grasps, the young leader realized the depth of feeling which his comrades could express in no other way and his face flushed with pleasure. "'It wasn't anything,' he protested. "'If I hadn't been there, you fellows would have done it, and done it just as well. It was up to me as leader to assume the responsibility, that's all. Now, the question is, what is to be done next? Of course, he ought to have a real doctor as soon as possible. I think that leg is set right, but we don't any of us know for sure. A doctor ought to see it. If there's anything wrong, that poor chap may be a cripple for life.' "'Where's the nearest doctor, Pat?' "'Woodcraft Camp,' was the prompt reply. "'We might find one at the lumber camp or one of the villages up beyond. "'And then again we might not. "'Dr. Miriam we are sure of. "'Tis myself will start this minute if you say the word.' "'Upton smiled. "'I thought as much. "'In fact, it has seemed to me from the beginning "'that there is nothing for it but to send to Woodcraft for help.' Not only is it necessary that a physician should see that leg as soon as possible, but some provision has got to be made for taking care of this fellow. It will be weeks before he can be taken out of here unless the big bear trail is such that he can be carried out that way. Sending back to Woodcraft seems almost like acknowledging our trip a failure. Though, of course, it isn't, because it isn't for help for one of us. I don't see anything else to do, and I guess Pat is the one to make the trip. Oh, you needn't get ready to start now, Pat. "'as that worthy began to tighten his belt "'as if to hit the trail at once. "'You were up all of last night, "'and you've got to get a good rest before you start. "'It's a good forty-mile hike. 
How long will it take you to do it, traveling light? If I leave at daybreak, I can make it the same night. The last ten miles, you remember, will be a lumber road. If I make that before dark, there will be no trouble making the rest after dark. Well, fellows, resumed Upton, I think that it will be best for Pat to start back tomorrow morning. It may be that Dr. Miriam will get here the next day, but I doubt it. I think it will be at least a day after that. Meanwhile, we have got to decide about our plans. It looks to me as if the lone wolves have made their trail as far as they will this year. We've got to stay and take care of Gordon. I'll bet dollars to donuts that isn't his name. Until someone gets here who can stay with him or he can be gotten out. Another thing, I guess we all feel pretty sure that Spud made a pretty good guess as to who Gordon is. He told enough when he was out of his head to make it pretty certain that he is the man the sheriff is looking for. He may not be guilty, but there isn't much doubt that he is the man wanted. Now what are we going to do about that? I want to know just what the rest of you think about these things. For a few minutes no one spoke. They were doing some hard thinking. The fact that they might have to give up their trip, probably would have to, had not seriously entered their heads. Hal was the first to speak. Sending Pat out to Woodcraft is a proper move, all right. I guess we are all agreed on that, the others nodded. As to giving up the trip, it seems to me that it is early to decide that, he continued. Looks as if we'd have to, but a good deal depends on what the result of Pat's trip is. If Dr. Miriam should bring someone in with him to look after Gordon, we may still have time to finish our trip though finding Law's trail is out of the question unless we happen to stumble on it by chance. Anyhow, we can be looking for it while Pat is away, for Gordon won't need more than one man with him at a time. About the sheriff? I... I don't know. I hate to think of being an informer under the circumstances. It's too much like hitting a fellow when he's down. Besides, after all, he may be innocent. I don't see it as any of our business what he has done broke in Spud. He may be an outlaw, but we don't know it for sure. What we do know is that he is in a peck of trouble right now and needs help, and it strikes me that putting the sheriff on his trail would be a mighty poor way of helping. If the sheriff happens along here and finds him, why, that's another matter. <laughs> By George, I hope he won't. Well, yous listen to the boy that thought it would be great fun to capture the outlaw and turn him over to justice, chuckled Pat. Spud flushed. "'So I would have if we captured him in a fair hunt,' he defended himself stoutly. "'But this is different. I don't mind saying that I'm mighty sorry for the poor chap, and I don't believe that he did the thing he was wanted for. Anyhow, we're not likely to see the sheriff, and I don't see that it is up to us to go out of our way to notify him.' Plimpton, who so far had taken no part in the conversation, now spoke. "'I feel a good deal as Spud does.' but it isn't a question of what we want to do, but what we ought to do. Scouts are supposed to obey the law at all times, and to see that others obey it. Supposing this man is guilty as charged, and thus has become a dangerous outlaw, aren't we in honor bound to protect our fellow men from him? I don't imagine he'll get away, because the sheriff is bound to hear of him sooner or later and have a look at him. But that doesn't let us out. If he is well and strong and able to take care of himself, we wouldn't have any compunctions in the matter now, would we? Our duty would be perfectly clear. At least we should think so. We should put the sheriff on his trail and go out of our way to do it. Isn't that true? Now we are letting sympathy and not sense of duty govern us, he continued as the others nodded. I pity that poor chap with all my heart. 
I may as well own up right now and here that whatever he has done, I'd like to see him get away. Anyhow, I'd hate to feel that I had helped to get him into more trouble. You all feel the same way. But supposing he gets well and does get away, he'll be hunted as an outlaw and sooner or later he'll be found. If he really is a desperate character, he won't be taken without a fight and perhaps bloodshed. How should we feel then? Supposing somebody should be killed. Wouldn't we always feel responsible for such a death? We don't know that this is the man wanted. If he isn't, no harm will be done by notifying the authorities. If he is the man, justice demands that he be brought to trial. I guess we all believe that he is the man, all right, and I guess we all feel that he is innocent of the crime with which he is charged. The question is, have we any right to pose as judges? I don't know as I've made my ideas very clear, but the long and short of it is... It seems to me that we ought to do a lot of thinking before we decide one way or the other. He can't get away, that's a cinch. So why not let the matter rest until the doctor gets here? By that time, perhaps we can see more clearly how this trail of duty blazes out. I don't believe the big chief will decide the thing for us, because he isn't that kind. But perhaps he'll give us a lead we can follow out for ourselves. Mr. Leader? Hat spoke as if his mind was made up. There be truth in what Plimpton be saying. I say, leave the matter till I get back. In the meantime, there will be much to do. Tis more meat we'll be after needin' now. I suggest, Mr. Leader, that ye order the likes of yourself to bring in one buck this day. A bit of a hunt will do ye good, and tis needin' that ye be. I will find ye a buck, or me blood's not Irish. Upton smiled. I guess it's just as well that this conference should adjourn, said he. The opinion seems to be unanimous on the matter of our present duty, which is to stay right where we are as long as we can be of service, and give up the rest of the trip, if need be. Also, we will wait until the doctor arrives before we come to a decision on the matter of notifying the sheriff. I think that by that time we will have found ourselves on this matter. Pat is right about the need of more meat. It will be a good thing for all of us to get busy on things that will take our thoughts off the present trouble for the time being. Pat? You will do no guiding today. You will rest and get yourself in shape for your long hike tomorrow. This is an order, Corporal Malone, he added as Pat opened his mouth to protest. It is Hal's turn to hunt, and I guess the rest of us will find enough to do about camp. Now, ordinarily, Hal would have jumped at the chance to try his luck at deer hunting, but no one knew better than he Upton's fondness for the hunt or how much the latter had counted all summer on the possibility of getting a deer this fall. I'd like to be let off today, Mr. Leader, he drawled. In the first place, my nerves are in no condition for straight shooting, let alone the strain of still hunting. Besides, I've got some sleep to make up. He yawned and stretched as he finished. Upton turned a speculative eye on Spud and Plimpton. Spud? said he. You seem to have turned out to be the boss little hunter of this outfit. Why can't you turn guide and take sister out for a chance at the meet? "'Sorry,' replied Spud promptly with a side wink at Plimpton. "'But I've got to go back after that lynx and my rifle. "'Pat's promised to help me skin the critter. "'And if it isn't done this afternoon, I'll have to do it alone and probably botch the job. "'And if it's all the same to you, I'm going with Spud. "'You know I haven't seen the hidden camp yet,' Plimpton hastened to say. "'So the matter was settled. "'Upton knew well enough that he was the victim of a kind-hearted conspiracy "'to give him the pleasure that meant so much to him, "'but it had been done in such a tactful way that he could not refuse. 
Pat gave him careful directions as to where he was most likely to find the game, and while Spud and Plimpton started after the lynx, he took the other direction in quest of a deer, knowing that whether or not he succeeded, the hunt would relieve the tension under which his nerves had been strung for so many hours. "'Tis a great bar he is,' said Pat as he and Hal watched the well-knit figure disappear down the hollow. "'You bet he is,' replied Hal heartily. "'He is the cleanest, whitest fellow I know. You owe him a good deal, Pat, but I owe him more.' When I first came to Woodcraft I'd lost the trail completely, and I guess I never would have found it if it hadn't been for Walt Upton. I hope he gets that deer. End of chapter 16